0: here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be all the way from L.A. It's going to be the post... No, not the post-punk band. It's the punk band. Yes, it is the last who um, I caught up with very recently. This is with the guitar, songwriter and singer, Joe Nolte, to find out more about life, love, poetry, all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, they started in about 1975, 76. Did their thing, broke up, as you do. And um, I think he's still playing music. But anyway, we're gonna find out more about that during this long interview. Anyway, so after some casual chat, I got the wrong time, actually. Um, yes, it's all to do with the time zones. Uh, we got down to those early musical influences. Joe, tell us about... Yes, the early years.
1: Oh, well, okay. Um, let's see, I wonder I was idly curious what's, what's uh, interesting. I was trying to think, now let's see, which... Um, I was trying to figure out, like, where you'd be coming from in terms of is this... Uh, going to be from the psychedelic point of view like you know okay you guys started the Paisley Underground so what was it like hanging out with the Bangles and 3 o'clock and all of those or more of a pop thing
0: like no, uh, you yes. guys were one of
1: the early pop bands what was it like hanging out with 2020 and Greg Shaw and the Zeros or the punk rock thing so um, you're the acknowledged grandfather of South Bay punk so what was it like hanging out with with living with Black Flag and hanging out with Red Cross and Descendants and all those people,
0: yeah. but
1: what you was can it... understand why it gets a little confusing.
0: It gets very confusing. <laughs> but but what... I don't
1: know which hat which hat I should wear. Yes,
0: well look, well let's start. I mean, what was your own, you know, the formative music years? You know, when you were like 10, 8, 10, 11, when you, when you sort of heard something <laughs> on, on on the on the radio that you thought or TV that you thought. Oh, that's interesting, I just, and sort of started to make moves towards playing an instrument.
1: Perfect, and actually what I, that little thing that I just said was kind of to lead into that, because then kind of my motivations for starting the last explains that too. But uh, yeah, okay, for me, I guess, you know, um, uh, me and Ozzy, um, as you know, Ozzy Osbourne is fond of saying, "You know, it all started with the Beatles." For him, uh, for me, likewise, I was I was a seven-year-old being taught by nuns at a Catholic school when JFK got assassinated. So that was huge, and so I was obviously well not only very aware of that, but very aware of the arrival seemingly out of nowhere a month later of uh, the Beatles. Yes. Ah, and I was just, I was old enough to be really, you know, just, just um, to take it all in and be profoundly aware of what was going on. I was young enough to not to not seriously believe that they were mortal. You know, they were clearly gods from someplace else, you know, they they were just so, especially for the Beatles thing was different in America, partly because, you know, it didn't hit till the beginning of 64. So we had all the hits that you guys had a year earlier, um, you know, we're all brand new and all came out at once. And the thing is, it's like with the Kennedy assassination a whole generation that had been like, you know, let's join the Peace Corps. Let's, you know, march for change and do this and that and, you know, get involved. All of a sudden, it's like, no. No, let's not do that. We we and Now we see what happens. Yes. <laughs> you get shot down. Okay, so like, I, you know, America could go to hell. And it's like, so the beauty of the Beatles is, of course, they were not American. And that made them that much better because, you know, we, we, the young people of the country were pretty much fed up with the country, uh, and at least, at least, you know, until the Beatles showed us well how <laughs> how we could change things. Yes. Um. So did it seem? Yeah, it,
0: did it seem incredibly exciting by the kind of the the kind of the British invasion of like the Beatles, Stones, oh, you know, the boy, Kinks, man. and and sort of things like this? Did it feel like wow? Cause... Oh, you
1: said the right group right after. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> um, <sighs> Dave, yeah, Dave Davies actually kissed me once. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, yeah, so my when I, because my little brother david has uh been playing off and on with with dave davies for years and um i was of course the one who explained uh to my brother you know why um just yeah showed him who the kinks were what they sounded like and why they were the greatest band ever second only to the beatles and um
0: Yes, and when and when as the sixties progressed, and um, you know things moved quite quickly with the sort of the great, I suppose you know the first there was a bit of smoking, then there was a bit of LSD, and then there was the summer of love in sixty seven, and kind of going up to Woodstock, and everything was kind of going well. Were you also kind of like, you know, thinking, great, that's me, I'm, I'm, that's going to be my my gang, my tribe?
1: Uh, yeah, because this is the fascinating thing: is that youth. Like a lot of like stuff, I mean, it was great to be that young in the 60s. On one hand, well, I missed a lot of stuff. I never saw the Beatles live. Um, I didn't go to Woodstock or Monterey or Altamont, um, you know, so I missed out on all the fun stuff. Um, <laughs> but being a kid, you know, that, that, that decade of the 60s took a way longer time to pass than it would have, say, if I'd been in my 20s um and but basically it took uh, maybe about a year so but certainly certainly by um 65 I decided yeah I want to be the Beatles. Yes. <laughs> you know, I want to be like I want to be kind of like um it's sort of a hybrid between John and George you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to be the leader and the, sing, the lead singer, but also, you know, I wanted to play the lead guitar. So I said, yeah, I, got, I want to do that. I did not play guitar. Um, I didn't know if I could sing, but I didn't really care I was going to do it. <laughs> and that sort of became, you know, the obsession.
0: So when did you pick up a guitar and how did you get a guitar? That
1: oh, what um, what happened was um, my aunt and I see I was so stupid, but you know I I had never it had never occurred to me to ask if I could get a guitar or take lessons. Um, uh, Laura, you know large family, distracted parents, so you know didn't bother. But um, uh, somebody. Uh, my mom kind of out of the blue, right after I turned 11, and you know, uh, said, "Did you ever? Did you have any interest in ever, you know, learning guitar?" And you know, I screamed, <laughs> "Yes, yes, yes! Oh God, a thousand times! Yes, yes, yeah, yeah!" yeah. So, um, I started taking guitar lessons. You know, I just it was basically, you know, playing one note at a time, learning everything correctly learning how to read music, you know, and this is, it was very slow and boring. And um, then the, uh, uh, the lady who ran the place, um, the guy was taking, you know, because they, they got me a guitar and then I'm taking lessons at the studio. And she, she gave me, she turned me over to a teenager with whom I immediately made a deal. And he said, okay, if you can do all your, um, all your work all your, the stuff you're supposed to do in half of the lesson, then I will show you Beatles songs during the other half. Right. Yeah, okay, that works. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, so I took, you know, lessons for a while and um, left the studio with a couple of, <sighs> I, you know, there are other groups besides the Beatles, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> this is the 60s, so what the heck, but, um, yeah, so I left, left, you know, left the studio eventually with, you know, Beatle Chord books, which is really all I needed and just, you know, taught myself everything since, <laughs> um, and, but yeah, yeah, I started, I had started playing and cause I turned 13 in the summer of 69, um, and I actually had a ride to Woodstock, but I would have had I would have had her like leave home in order to take advantage of that and it just didn't seem worth the trouble. But um but you know, yes, yeah, so I was just I was I was a sixties teenager for uh, six months.
0: Yes. And
1: um um and actually, um, is that right? Is it yes it is. Yeah, yeah. Summer of sixty nine is also when I got my first electric guitar. So, um I was starting to fool around with um, garage bands that were literally, literally, you know, playing out of garages. Um, at the end of the '60s, uh, yeah. Let's see. Okay, this is like late '69. Yeah. So, so everybody, you know, the uh, "Sunshine of Your Love" was was, was the, uh, the lingua franca. You know, that was the song everyone knew, <laughs> and everyone had to know. Uh, three years earlier it would have been wipe out, but uh uh, uh by sixty nine it was cream. Um, and, oh, gosh. And and this is this is seriously something that I could I could go for hours without getting anywhere near the last. So I'll <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to self edit. Oh yeah and feel, and of course feel free to interject and tell me to shut up and get back on course if I
0: yeah, no, it's
1: fine. <laughs> I go too far. Down the wrong roads but um uh gosh, yeah, basically, I just started trying to form bands as um and especially as I get into high school um you know, just just trying you know just you know um uh trying stuff and and then starting to write songs um um actually, I wrote this uh Uh, I probably shouldn't even go into that, but no, no. There's. I wrote this one little thing that ended up, yeah. Um, in, in when I was 15 in 1971, I wrote this thing that ended up uh, years later finding its way into a descendant song, um, which is just funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's 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 a long way back. Yes. Uh, <laughs> But uh but yeah I basically I'm watching you know I'm I'm getting closer I'm I'm getting to the point where I can go to occasional concerts because that's about all that's left because the LA club scene was shut down at the end of 66 um yeah missed that totally and um I you know I was just looking for stuff and buying more and more records and listening and listening and getting a little older and a little better at playing and writing. And uh, things start to feel a little strange. Um, I suppose uh, Jimmy and Janet, Brian Jones and then Jimmy and Janice dying probably contributed to the feeling of strangeness. Yes. Um, You know, but it's like, Hmm. Um, You know, as the 70s take hold, it's like, you know, music's still good, right? Yeah, I think music's still good. Let's say, you know, okay. And then there's like, okay, Elton John. Okay, there we go. uh, You know, the the self-titled album. Damn. Uh, Tumbleweed Connection, probably released too soon. Um, Another brilliant album. Madman Across the Water. Uh Uh-oh. Half good and half what is he doing?
0: But then Goodbye Yellow Brick Road?
1: No, no, no. Madman. Madman Across the Water. Title song, great. Indian Summer, great. Uh, Levon and Tiny Dancer. Elson, what have you done? <laughs> Are they catchy? Yeah. But all of a sudden, but it's like... The saying, this is, I mean, i sorry to use him as an example, but my God, I it's not well, basically what happens, of course, is in the early 70s, really accelerating and getting going around 72 on, every band that was great either died or sucked. Yes. It's like across the board. My favorite bands, you know, I had, well, I had favorite bands. The Beatles, I had to find a new favorite band after they broke up, for obvious reasons. But my my top favorites were Beatles, then Zappa, then Tull, and then sort of the general um, UK trad folk rock thing, you know, in general, meaning, of course, Fairport and Steel Eye and Pentangle and Yes. All those wonderful groups. Um, and then finally, the Kinks. I'd always liked, I might had Arthur since when it came out. I'd always liked the Kinks, but I didn't realize that they were just better <laughs> and, until I finally did. Um, and belated, well, who else? Well, I think that's enough and if you look what happened to all these people i mean look at the beatles solo albums you know once the 70s really got going sometime in new york city my god a john Lennon album without a single good john song on it possibly <laughs> <laughs> um paul i'll just you know i'll just hold wings wildlife and say no more um but you know uh the stones the magnificent stones you know by the mid you know just 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 gradually get less and less interesting as the 70s progressed after you know after exile it's like pretty much downhill the kinks Yeesh. preservation money and corruption is a half great song there's a couple of other good things um preservation 2 is really a waste mostly a waste of vinyl and and then the albums that follow are just, you know, disgraceful. Um, <laughs> thank you. you what, know,
0: about, I, what about David Bowie then? Let's get David Bowie in here.
1: In that, and that's why I stopped, because I was about to say, um, I was about to say belatedly, Bowie becomes my favorite. Because I had sort of, it's like I was, I was like into Bowen, but not Bowie. I'm not sure why. Don't ask me why. But I think it's probably the trad... The, the UK trad thing I was in I liked beer to stars, you know. Um, but I finally with the release see Diamond Dogs. Here's you know, this is, you know, on everybody's getting worse and worse and then Diamond Dogs comes out in the middle of seventy four and it's one of the finest things ever put onto a disc ever. Ever <laughs> that ever that there ever has been. It's 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 it's, you know, it it's um yeah, okay, I'm opinionated a little bit, but you know, whatever. It's like ultimately, obviously, and I think everybody realizes music is a personal thing and you can't argue music, but uh but but we love doing it anyway. Um, but yeah, so Bowie, um um Diamond Dogs made me finally uh, forced me to, to, to revisit Bowie, you know, I the arguably second you know, Diamond Dogs being his best Man who sold the world, I would argue as the second best. I just find it such an amazing amazing record, but 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 so many. But yeah, so so Bowie's doing just great with diamond dogs. I'm so excited because this is a good direction. It's like, you know, okay, officially, there's no spiders, even though I see Ronson's on that record., I mean, it's you know, and this is this this, this magic thing he did with all of these amazing you know, multi-track things going on, you know, drug-induced though they may have been. Um, You know, this, you know, could be the wave of the the future. This could be the same thing that saves rock and roll. And I take a breath and I look away and the next thing I know, he's put out a disco album. (laughs) What? (laughs) In retrospect, young Americans, you know, ain't bad at all and i i I have never said a bad word about station to station um you know because actually, at the time, young Americans was such a crushing blow, you know, as far as what my expectations have been that you know that Bowie could now put out anything that was you know somewhat good, and I would be just you know happy so and so so it was with station to station, so it was with low um but yeah, Bowie uh, Bowie does good stuff and Bowie basically, I think, has made a career out of doing stuff that nobody would understand for at least two or three years.
0: <laughs> yes, well, definitely in the case of Low.
1: So when, when, so when
0: you kind of there were those other bands that we we sort of hear a lot about, you know, or people reference them. I sometimes wonder if, in hindsight, but you know, like the Velvet Underground and Captain Beefheart and the Stooges, and you know, Black Sabbath in this country. You know, did you were these bands on your radar at all?
1: Well, okay, it's it's, it's so funny because it's like you know, if you. I was, I was there, but if you, like, you know, uh, uh, read any, you know, recent writings from any, you know, of the, the older rock critics, oh, they were all into the Velvets and the Stooges and everything. Um, yeah. If you go back and read what they were writing back then, no. <laughs> they we're making fun of the Velvets and the Stooges. You know, the 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 people would say, yeah. Um the only thing good about the velvets is that they're not as bad as the Stooges, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like this is not music, this is monochrome, this is like single note, you know, they, this is a put on. They can't they cannot pod this band cannot really like the music they write. You know, it's like people hated them, people did not understand them. Um for me with the velvets. Um. Didn't actually, you know, I probably, yeah, yeah, I really discovered the Velvets and Stooges about the same time. Stooges, um, right. When was it? Well, there was this thing. There was this um, uh, simulcast show on TV where they were going to show a rock concert and they were actually going to play the music on FM radio at the same time. So you'd be able to, you know, uh, like actually hear stereo coming out of your TV, which is just like jaw droppingly insane. Um, and, uh, one of the bands was, uh, the Stooges. And this is right around the time they're releasing Funhouse, And, uh, so they do this phenomenal version of TVI. And I was like, oh, dear God, um, uh, I thought that was, I thought it was one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen. And um, it was around that time that I had previously, I remember hearing some friends talk, and one of them saying, yeah, I was passing by this guy's house, and they were playing a record, and where somebody's like singing about heroin, it was just like disgusting. I thought, hmm, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> uh, uh, but what happened was somebody actually turned me on to a copy of Why Lie White Heat. And um, um, I'm, try- I'm trying to think if there was, like, any hesitation with either – Yeah, no, nah, pretty much. Velvets and Stooges were just like, oh, uh, they've been <laughs> – my. <laughs> They were created for my ears yes this is this is perfect um and um a little bit of reading and boom, I went out and found the first m c five record as quickly as I could just to complete the trilogy, and it was like, oh my god, so, um, yeah, I wasn't driving yet, but i was I was listening to the three good bands um. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, gee, but there, yeah, but I, I didn't. I mean, I thought of them as three good bands. I didn't really. Well, who knew? Who knew what was going to happen? Um, but so, yeah, so these are these are and there, and there was other good music, uh, partially good music, and you know, occasional. You know, I mean, I there, there I. I believe an archaeologist somewhere unearthed like two or three good Paul McCartney songs that came out in the 70s. So it's like, you know, it is, it is possible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, Let Me Roll It, of course, it's a great song. I mean, and of course, the kinks end the 70s with better things. Or was that 81? It doesn't matter. <laughs> but. Uh, um, well, it, it
0: definitely wasn't come dancing, put it that way. That was a dreadful song. The Kings in the 80s. Yeah,
1: it was just, it was there were, there were like the really exciting bands nobody seemed to be listening to or being aware of except for like Rolling Stone would, would make fun of them um, from time to time, you know, in, in the first half of the 70s. And, and, and at the same time, every, you know, all of my favorite bands are just getting worse and worse and more predictable and getting richer and richer at the same time because they discovered, man, you know, if you pander to the lower common denominator, you pander to people, to music lovers who don't, who, who 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 cannot differentiate between notes, I guess the best way. I mean, that's the only thing that explains a lot of popular bands. But I think there are a lot of people who like to have that music on, but outside of the beat, the melody is like if it's catchy, it must be good.
0: <laughs> but yes. it's, it's
1: just there's no um yeah, it's pretty sad. Um,
0: so when so so with with that when you know and obviously in America there was like the New York Dolls let's not forget them and then the Ramones in the UK uh, you had you know like well, fo- yes, fo- yes. Doctor Feelgood and what the, there
1: was the Ramones there was also us. <laughs> um the uh but yeah the dolls that's uh you know yeah the dolls well and the dolls I just kind of like you know they're like the one American glam band you know it's like there's Bowie Mott the Hoople dolls you know
0: there was Alice Cooper as well of... hmm? there had been Alice Cooper's theatrical kind of quality as well though
1: oh yeah 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 no there's a lot more to the dolls um, well, yeah. And of course, I mean, they were, you know, if anybody was proto punk the dolls certainly were setting it up, you know, and there's pictures of, you know, Patti Smith hanging out with Lou Reed and David Johansson and, um, all that sort of thing. Um, so when did yeah, you, yeah, no, I remember, I remember me and fast Freddy got to, um, uh, smoking pot with like um, <sighs> Johansson and one of the other dolls, like you know, uh, right when Johansson was starting his solo stuff, <sighs> waiting for a show. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> no. So when did you think? Right, that's it. We're going to form a band, and I'm going to do this for myself, or ourselves. Well,
1: okay. What I did, I got. I finally got my my permanent. Band together in high school uh, between like seventy-two and seventy-four, and this had um, uh, the two my the two friends that I would end up forming the last with uh, Vitus Monterey and Dave Harbison were both in the band, and basically it was just kind of an uh, we were an anti-dance band, <laughs> you know, and we actually got to play a few high school dances, but. You know, never the same high school more than once. Uh, because we... I cr- I created songs that never stayed in the same key and never stayed in the same time signature. You know, lots of stops and starts. It was like... I wonder what it... It's hard to say what it was like. I really need to like record some of that stuff. Um, but it was... Kind of a weird, unholy combination of everything from uh, kinks to tall to Sabbath to God knows what. Just like throwing everything in the world together, and you know, um, giving each subgenre its 15 seconds of fame. Um, it, it, I want to say it's like Prague, but 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 way worse. Ah, uh, but it, it was like just kind of like I, I was just sort of so appalled by how music had gotten so antiseptic, predictable, et cetera, That I just wanted to do something very much not that way. So um, it was fun. I, I, you know, it didn't make us a lot of friends, but we we had a good time. Yes, you know, r- ruining people's lives at least for for the evening. And um, um, high school ended. It was seventy four. I thought, now what? And I'm just searching and I'm thinking. And um, um, I've actually started writing. Some of I wrote Century City Rag, which is um, obviously from our first album, which is you know obviously a Who ripoff. Um I don't know why The Who were never one of my top favorites because they were awfully good but um but which went not so were The Stones good lord you know The Who and The Stones they're always just like right behind whoever's the current favorite you know Um
0: So when you bought because when you bought yeah. the the old debut album which was kind of was it 70 so 78 70- you were LA Explosion you managed to get on to the Bop Records, which is everyone's favourite label, isn't it? And um, did, from your memory, did that album come together relatively quickly or easily?
1: Uh, <laughs> it came together out of all that stuff. Um, is Basically what happens is, um, at the end of 75, I start, you know, like... Articles start coming out in magazines about the CBGB scene, and they're even – and by this time, I've been like just uh, – had uh, been for like uh, about the previous year listening mostly to, uh, to original punk rock, funnily enough, to the mid-60s garage variety of punk rock, i.e. Seeds, Knickerbockers, etc. And so all of a sudden, I hear about this scene in New York, and they're even calling it punk. And so I decided, OK, punk rock is going to be the future. Stupid thing to to, to to suggest. I had no reason for saying that. But I decided punk rock would be the future. And at the other hand, on the other hand, I realized that it probably wasn't going to get out of New York City. <laughs> and so I figured, OK, I'm going to start a band. I'm going to start a punk band. And uh, we're going to figure out a way to get to New York and play CBGBs so that we could say we were there before it all disappears yes and that that was the plan with forming the last and so i had the prototype at the beginning of 76. um we finally nailed down a permanent drummer as well as the name in october of 76 and um well well, suffice it to say, there's like, yeah, there was no place to play in L.A. because there just was no place to play. And that was one thing I wanted to change. But so we weren't having a lot of luck getting anything going on. Um, and so we decided to put out our own single, which was the She Don't Know Why I'm Here single, which came out on November 7th of 1977. And um, as a result of that, um among other things, I met Greg Shaw um because I had sent a personal Greg Greg Shaw copy to him and because I uh we only had 300 copies of that single and I had to write the titles hand wrote the titles on every single one front and back <sighs> and um so I wrote out, you know, some personalized copies including one for Greg and um I wrote another one out and, uh for Kim Fowley, and uh Anyway, Greg convinced me we should sign with Bomp, and then I got a message that the Kim Fowley's office had called about a week later. And I thought, oh, well, too late, so I'll never know what might have happened if we'd gone on down that road, but we didn't go down that road. Anyway, um, with Greg, it was um, – Greg had great ideas, but the um, – financial realities were sort of devastating for him so he wasn't really able to do anything and 1978 was kind of a a year of waiting but um but in the fall of 78 he we were able to come to an agreement that he would uh finance an album for us um which would be LA Explosion and so we uh went in we our manager had a friend who was an engineer at, um, oh, God, the Village Recorders. Um, and so we were actually, it was a, um, a well-known studio in West L.A. Fleetwood Mac had actually wanted to rent out all the rooms for like two months. uh to do the follow up to their wide album and uh the studio said we can't do that. Uh why don't you guys just build your own studio right next door here? Which mm. they did. And we actually got to sneak in one a couple of nights and you know check it out. Um oh oh they had one of the fr- the first VCR I'd ever seen. <laughs> I, wow. That's luxury. Um but yeah, it was it was pretty cool, like a lot of, you know, like self-rising drum risers and just a lot of neat things. But um, uh, the village, yeah, at the time we, were, we had to wait in order to, we, we basically, this engineer guy who worked there um, wanted to be a producer, had never produced anything, although um, this engineer, whose name was John Harrison, was also the uh, founding bassist for uh, Hawkwind. Right, Pete. There's a Pete. The Pete Frame family tree. If you check out the first incarnation of Hawkwind, it shows John Harrison. There's a little arrow going nowhere, saying faded into obscurity.
0: <laughs> well,
1: no, he went to the village recorders and produced us for all the good it did him. Uh, <laughs> so we, uh... anyway. So so we could. Um, uh, the studio would let, would let him do his project with us there. So we were basically, we were not paying what regular people were paying. But The catch was we couldn't start till like midnight. Right. So we'd be doing the graveyard shift. Um, we, had to, we had to vacate the studio for a week and a half while John Stewart did an album. Um, downstairs, Zappa was doing one of the Joe's garages. I'm trying to think of who else it was uh but but it was it was funny we had no business being <laughs> being there, but there we were, but anyway, we were able to um it was a lot of we were young, we were young, which is why I'm alive to tell the story now because you know I would work, I would come home, then get ready, and about the time normal people were going to sleep or at least finishing their 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 allotted beer. For the evening, I was drinking lots of coffee and getting ready to drive up to West L.A. to record all night. And we would do this on a regular basis. Then I would come home and maybe nap for an hour, maybe not, and then, boom, off to work.
0: Blimey. You can do that when yeah. you're young. It's, it's quite You annoying. can do
1: that when you're I don't know how we did it.
0: It's, it's another world, isn't it? So then the album comes out, and then it's not long, and then the band has that tricky bit, and it's, and it sort of finishes almost on the second album. So how, how's how's things? You know what was what was the reason for the, the breakup?
1: I I I I'm, I'm, I, I, I had a st- I had I I had a couple of Spinal Taps quotes that were just itching to come out, and I thought, no, I better I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was so tempting. Um, yeah, well, it's like okay. I mean, I, I I can't I can't take us there that quickly. Well, I can pretty much. But um, the album came out. We very quickly found ourselves hitting the top of the club scene, and you know, that's where you see these occasional pictures here and there of, you know, headlining over people you wouldn't have thought we would. Um, but, you know, we were getting regular airplay on K-Rock um, less than a year before that would matter. <laughs> uh, we were getting, we were very big in L.A., again, about a year or so before that would matter. Um, but uh, it was, we had a lot of fun for a very short period of time, and um, in the meantime, I'm like living at the church and uh, with a bunch of uh, nobody bands that are it's starting out like Black Flag and Red Cross and the Descendants, etc. And so I'm kind of giving them pep talks because I'm listening to them. I say, you guys sound good enough. Yeah, yeah, this could be great. You could do it. This, all, all of us could make it. All you guys, this could be, the church could end up being like a scene. The South Bay could end up being like a punk scene, I'm telling you. Now, of course, nobody took me seriously, and people thought I was an annoying creep. Every time I brought it up, ha-ha. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, uh, Penelope Spears shows up to film Decline, The Decline of Western Civilization, at about the right time, um, Right time for everybody except me, because my band is not playing clubs in the spring of 1980, when Decline was filmed, because we're recording our second album. And um, a decision, he said politically, was made. (laughs) A decision was made. We would not be doing any shows. Black Flag is saying, come on, come on. We've told... Penelope, she's got to put you in the movie. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, you guys got to play a gig. Oh, no, no, can't do it. Got to make the record. Um, One of, it will go down in the top 10 of stupidest decisions we made ever in our lives.
0: Yeah. Whenever I
1: compile the list. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So it's like we're the band that was supposed to be in decline, (sighs) that that weren't. Uh, (laughs) Oh. And it's like the, um, if you look, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the film.
0: The one, The, the Decline of the Western Civilization. I've only seen uh-huh. clips of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Oh, OK.
1: Well, there's, if you ever see it, there's um, a sequence where they interview Black Flag. And they're interviewing them in, in this really sort of um, kind of a messy room that's like completely covered with punk graffiti and stuff. Um, a, that was my bedroom. Be, I was standing right behind the camera guy during a lot of the shooting. Very sad. But um but anyway, we were basically I knew what we wanted to do for the second album. Um it needed to be a strong follow up cuz LA Explosion <sighs> lost something in the translation to vinyl. Um What was it? Oh yeah, bass. No. <laughs> Much more than that. It just, it just, I'm not sure. Uh, Production-wise, it didn't. I don't think it worked. Other people like it, you know. And it is what it is. It's been 41 years now, but uh, uh, it was a little, a little weak. Um, and I knew that the second album we were gonna, it was gonna need to be powerful. And um, so we well we just uh we worked a lot we 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 had good songs we were at our peak live i think by early nineteen eighty um good powerful band good powerful songs um and um yeah bob was did not have the wherewithal for a second album um and we found um an independent company that was willing to do it on spec, and you know? I said, oh, yeah, and, uh, and, and I've, okay, I've got to tell this part of the story without, without unnecessarily dragging people into mud that should have dried four years ago, <laughs> it was, yeah, 1980, okay, um, but basically, yeah, what could go wrong? um well first of all we were told that we were not we could not ourselves actually touch any of the controls at the mixing board for insurance reasons so much for our being able to uh, have any control in the mix and basically whatever powers there may have been um determined you know how they thought the mix should go. And basically, we ended up with an album that sounded like shit. I shouldn't have said that. All right. Does it matter anymore? No. It's fine. That's Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I could take it. I could say it again and say <sighs> overall, it just sounded like crap. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, uh,. That's a tough one. It still hurts now because basically, I, and I can actually wrap this up kind of quickly, it didn't sound good. We, didn't, we were not able to ever get back and do anything with the tapes. Um, we gamely tried to shop it. Nobody wanted it for obvious reasons. And, um, and that was it. I had run since I was like 14 or 15. I had run any musical thing I was involved with, you know, like a tyrant. I, hopefully hopefully a tyrant with good taste, but I knew what I wanted to do. I had a singular vision, usually, you know, and, um, and I just went with it, and I would go with it, and I had taken, you know, the last uh, pretty damn far in a pretty short period of time, and... Now all that came crashing down. It was like I had, it was my smile moment. You know, I was Brian Wilson in December of '66. It was like, oh no. Yes. For the first time, I second guessed what I was doing. And it wasn't just me. Everybody in the band had a second guess. They couldn't blindly follow me anymore because nobody wanted the album. We had failed. And uh, so we were all second-guessing things, and we were all coming up with ideas on what um, our direction should be. Most of these ideas were terrible. And we tried almost all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I think we had a following for the first half of the 1980s. We were able to headline the whiskey still and do things like and. and I can only think that people were getting a chuckle out of it because I, it had to be the, you know, mirth had to be behind the entertainment value because I'm pretty sure we weren't making music, as as it's commonly understood. <laughs> so, um, uh, but for a bit, but you know, for, there was there was a time for a couple years in the early '80s, '81 and '82, you know. I'm, you know, people are saying, wow, you really made it. And I'm thinking to myself, no, we've already failed. I'm a has-been. It's over.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and although one could say perhaps it was your inner voice that was, you know, kind of leading you down the wrong road of getting up, but whatever. Um. But, yeah, just like I needed, I evidently was fragile enough that I needed to be, you know, unquestioningly supported Uh, by my peers i think that if in the immediate wake of the unreleased album which was going to be called look again if i had completely severed ties with everybody and gone off and started something completely different that might have saved me but um as it was you know people have put in so much work i just you know uh I couldn't bring myself to do it so basically i you know we spent i spent pretty much from 1981 to 1985 listening and trying bad ideas from people who kind of resented me again i mean pretty much it's like everybody was getting their revenge on me for my years of tyranny so which should life lesson, maybe I needed to have that happen to me. It wasn't pleasant, but and it didn't do anything musically, you know, so that it was it was really kinda of sad to spend four years declining in front of people, you know?
0: Yeah, I was absolutely I mean did you Ugh. in that time, I'm just curious, did you ever play in any other bands or join any other groups to you know, because obviously...
1: Should have, should have. We, um, in 79, um, we got one of the songs that was uh, recorded for the album that didn't come out it was Jungle Book by my good friend, Jeffrey Lee Pierce. And um, he'd had a band called The Red Lights and he had recorded that song. And I really liked it. And I finally told him, I, man, I, I told him, man, you got to get back into a band. And he said, nah, and I said, you, you get back at the banner, I'm gonna or I'm gonna start doing your song. He said, Okay. Wrote out the words and then of course, inevitably, once we started playing it live, um, he was only too happy to get on stage and sing it with us. Uh, and so he'd, we'd frequently close the show with Jeffrey singing and, you know, the everything's sort of falling apart, you know, gloriously. It's like and um <sighs> Well the result the and inevitably Jeffrey forms a new group which becomes the gun club and originally, and i was in I was in the first prototype for that, and then I was told by my own management that no can't can't be in outside bands
0: Because yes. I sort of there was another band I don't know if they were from l a but they had a a member who also had your name well and same name jane bond and the undercover men that wasn't you was it
1: oh um, i, I that, that that was just a session gig i just played guitar in that one song maybe two songs was it two or one
0: right so how did you meet those guys
1: um e uh, uh jane jane bond uh, their 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 mentor was this guy named ethan james who um, had a studio in Venice. And Ethan now, <laughs> this, is, this, this, is, this is the founding bassist interview, by the way. Ethan was the founding bassist of Blue Cheer.
0: Blue Cheer.
1: The Blue Chair. The, the old uh. San Francisco. Well, okay, if you were, if you were an early metalhead, Oh, okay. Blue Cheer would be like Sabbath without the subtleties.
0: Yes. Well, I <laughs>
1: um it was somewhat a lot of the music was somewhat obvious and really, really primitive in the late sixties and they were the loudest band on earth. Um and so yeah, they were actually pretty good in a lot of ways if you think about it. Um but, um.
0: Ethan James. So, yeah, so, yeah, actually, so he. what? So, who was Ethan James to do with Jane Bond and the Undercover Men?
1: Yeah, Ethan James. Yeah, he died. Uh, he's dead now, unfortunately, too. But, yeah, he did, uh, Jane. He did, um, uh, James Bond. I'm not. I, I know that Jane, <laughs> I don't even remember her real name, was a friend of his, possibly even, uh, his girlfriend, possibly not. And I. I apologize to everybody for having gotten the story wrong i'm sure but but um yeah he was just um uh, we had been doing some um recording for some stuff that ended up finally coming out on a french only uh release on eva called uh painting smiles on a dead man um but we had uh done some recording in 81 and 82 at ethan's and so he would call me in on occasion to add, um, to, to you know, just do some session guitar for an occasional recording.
0: Yes. So you didn't really, because they, they were one of those bands that sort of got picked up in the UK very briefly. Really? Yes. And that's... yeah, um, that's,
1: that's hilarious.
0: Jane Bond, at The Undercover Men. Because not... they did an album called Politically Correct, which I know this DJ, John Peel, quite liked um but that that what was w- that
1: was run to him run to him right was that song
0: there was um i i'm i made love to a communist and um
1: <laughs>
0: hot rod lincoln was the other track that they did actually so you didn't so you didn't really know the band you just kind of got pulled in for the
1: i i i i i, I met them when i was playing with them <laughs> but yeah right exactly i didn't you know um we did we did not have ties going way back or anything now it was just it was a gig but we had you know mutual friends and you know yes LA was still kind of a small town as far as people knowing each other so
0: yeah but uh and then and then what happens with you cuz obviously the the band isn't kind of happening at this stage which is a bit drastic
1: yeah no kidding yeah so what happens is the band finally um well, there's a lot of falling apart. It finally completely dissolves on Thanksgiving Day, late November nineteen eighty five. And so I spent eighty six bandless and then um I went to a party in early eighty seven and I just felt lost. I said, Man, what am I doing at this party? I'm not Joe in the band. Joe in the last. You know, I'm not am I I have no identity if I'm not in a band. Yes. Yeah, you know, I just I felt I felt <laughs> a distinct rootlessness. So um, so I said, okay, forget it. Got to form a new band. And so I called my brother Mike. Said, Mike, we have to form a new band, and um, we need a name. And he came up with. I don't remember what it was, and I wish I did because it's the worst name for a band I've ever heard of.
0: Oh, nice! I'm glad you're so. And,
1: yeah, it was really, yeah, it was really bad. It was yeah, it was so bad. It was probably genius. Um, and I said, okay, we'll. I'll get back to you. And then he called five minutes later. Said, "I'm just kidding. It should be called The Last, of course."
0: Right. Yeah. Okay.
1: Little brat. So yeah. Anyway, so so we reformed The Last in '77. 87, excuse me, good lord, and um, and yeah, and since 87, it's pretty much been going. Uh, Mike is no longer with us, however, I do have on keyboards and vocals instead of Mike, I have James Nolte, who is the son of my brother Dave, who was the bassist in, you know, back in the day on L. Explosion. Yes so so my nephew, who is probably more talented than any of the rest of the Nies, including me <laughs> is uh is now in the band right and I think he's even finally turned twenty one which is going to make things slightly easier um, and let's see, but anyway, yeah, I've got an incredible uh, lineup just in time for for um, you know, the COVID thing, so, whoopee, um, see, yeah, we, we haven't really been too, too active as far as, like, getting together to rehearse, shall we say? No. <laughs> I, 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 I've got, I've had a couple of strokes and stuff, so it's like, I, um, I've worked it out, and I'm high risk enough to where I, I have not set foot outside the front door since, uh, February.
0: Right,, yeah, so yeah.
1: so then. I actually, I actually started quarantining like about a week before any mandates came down because I knew what was coming, but uh but in the meantime, um punk rock did sort of kind of take everything over, and the South Bay punk scene did become a thing, in fact a much bigger thing than anybody would have believed, and um. Um, I think mostly everybody got rich and famous except me. <laughs>
0: God, it's... Yeah.
1: And it is, no, it is totally funny. And actually, I've, it, what I realized is that if I had, if I had, you know, had the normal career I thought I was going to, um, I'd already be a has-been by now, you know. The career would be the, 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 the you know, I would have peaked regardless and so it would be over, and the best I would be is I have been playing oldies at occasional shows, which is not dissimilar to what I've been doing. And um, if I'd made a lot of money, I probably would have spent it by now.
0: Yes. And
1: so, yeah, if, if you look at it philosophically, it's like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. um, but I did have to work a day job until I retired.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: on the other hand, I'm still alive, and I haven't given up. Although I don't think I'm going to be a teenage idol anytime
0: soon. No, no. And so, <laughs> and so, God, that was quite a story. I mean, what would you? I mean, what would you have said to an 18 year old self, kind of starting out in that world that is music and rock and roll?
1: <sighs> the, you, uh, not what you would necessarily expect. I would. <sighs> don't do anything just to be nice don't do anything just to be agreeable and if somebody seems really sure about something that is not what you want don't listen to them in other words, trust thy own self follow thy own thing and you know don't waste time with too much altruism
0: yes (sighs)
1: I every I've every I mean, obviously I've analyzed a lot. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, what went wrong? You know, how many different ways did it go wrong and what could have changed, blah blah blah. And um I, the the key errors always seem to have come from, you know, going ahead with what other people wanted to do.
0: Right, so you... which is
1: not. You would think that I would have th- I've thought, no, I was just too much of a jerk and didn't listen to anybody. Right? Isn't that where you're supposed to learn? Yes, I mean, I think that's, that's how it's supposed to go in every all the stories I've read. You know, it's like, um, yeah, but no, it's the reverse. It's like if you've got, you know, if if, if you're going to be single-mindedly perdu- uh, pursuing something, do it, keep doing it, and don't fault her not in pursuit of that which you pursue I guess that's what I'd say yes. but the thing is my 18 year old self wouldn't listen to advice from anybody including his older self
0: yeah this is true yeah it's it's a difficult one isn't it and that's the end of the interview that uh, that was me in conversation with a member of the last the la based punk band and that was david uh, joe nolte i'm david Eastall. there you go i remember these things anyway look if you want to contact me for some random reason you can on facebook twitter instagram just do at c86 show and also all these interviews have been um archived and you can find those on spotify itunes Podbean. uh just do c86 show they're all there lots of them anyway have a great week